Welcome and hello. It's This Is Going Well, I Think, with David Cooper. I'm David Cooper. It's This Is Going Well, I Think, the show where no one's listening, no one cares, where I say this every episode. Today, my friend, comedian Anik Adele, they are German. And what can I say about Anik? They're between two genders, two countries, two careers, lawyering and stand-up comedying. We met a long time ago when we first got into performing comedy. I'm excited to catch up, maybe hear about a documentary that Anik's shooting. Spoiler, Anik showed up in my apartment the other day with the film crew, and I may or may not be in this documentary. And do me a favor, if you like this interview, check out Anik's comedy album. It's called Between Two Worlds. You can stream that on Spotify or wherever comedy albums are found. All right, let's get into this. change their names Anik. really i was thinking about changing my name yeah i know i like uh eric eric adele god eric that's such an old name though don't you think it's just a bland name it's it could be an old name could be a new name you think one of the listeners avid listeners of this show is named eric gotcha what do i want to talk about today what the hell happened at my apartment a few days ago dude i don't know i think we, we had this idea to interview you for my documentary that I'm shooting and hopefully creating a pilot. Are we already recording this? Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. What happened? I think I wanted to have you. It was a spontaneous idea. You reached out to me, I think. And I was like, oh, my God. Actually, I had been thinking about this subconsciously, I think. And then you reached out to me and I was like, yes that I want you on my documentary that I'm shooting or was shooting in New York about my journey to become a stand-up comedian in the U.S., although I'm not from the U.S., because I think it's the most interesting shit I've ever seen in my life, you know? You would, yeah. No, it's interesting. I just, you're a little biased. Of course I would, but I've been recording myself since day one, first mic, you know, uh, and then moving to LA, doing all the, you know, doing mics every day. And I don't know, I've been, I had this idea that when I, when the team was in town, I was like, oh, we're going to interview David. Cause you've been part of, I guess the beginnings I had in San Francisco. Plus you're one of the most interesting people I know. And so I was like, oh yeah. Now shut up. And then we recorded at like 10 AM and I think we were all super, you know, tired or whatever and just getting up and. I met you when you started doing stand-up and I had just started myself, and then I stopped. But I feel like creatively and as friends, we're on a similar journey. So I, I, while I am not showing up to all the open mics and, and uh, showcases that you're attending, unless I'm there to see you, which admittedly, I hate stand-up. So that's another thing. I hate stand-up. But I feel like we're kindred. You hate stand-up? I like watching it. I just hate doing it. It's my least favorite thing in the world. See, and and we had this discussion on my, and we don't have to repeat it, but on my documentary interview, I still don't, I can't get over the fact, maybe because I'm so in love with stand-up comedy, that when I met you and I thought you were the most hilarious and most talented stand-up comedian, and then you told me that, you know, you don't want to be it, and, and I, I'm still not getting over it. I will probably never will get over it, you know what I mean? But... Here we are. I think this is your true destiny. So good. Okay. So we'll get back to what happened at my house because I think it was so strange what happened. But Go. to say something to to respond to that, when I started doing stand up, maybe six months before we met, the people that were hosting the open mics that I went to, I thought were geniuses. And I think you have these beginner uh, beginner's eyes when you're just starting stand up or any pursuit. And the people around you who are a little further along than you. You see them and you immediately look up to them. I'm not saying you looked up to me, but you think they're hilarious. You think they're great. And that those sort of rose-colored glasses you have on, for example, I thought someone was the funniest person in the world in 2015 when I started doing stand-up. I thought they should be famous. What the hell's going on? 
I have since seen them. They've been at it for five, six, seven years since I saw them for that first time. They fucking suck, Anik. So I feel like... Who's the names? I'm not going to name names. That's too cruel. But I feel like you reflect on me hosting that open mic at that shitty Purple Onion at Kell's room in San Francisco. And you're like, wow, you're so funny. How could you quit? If you saw me now, you would be like, wow, this is terrible. This shouldn't even exist. He should die. Okay, fair enough. That's true, because I've had that same reaction to a stand-up comedian who I first saw in San Francisco, not as a host, but as a regular stand-up comedian. I was so impressed with the guy. And, you know, fast forward, like you say, a couple of years, they haven't really made it, you know, past a certain level. And I'm like, I'm still a little amazed because I think they're talented. But to be fair, even when I started in San Francisco, I had never... The reaction to a host, maybe that's the difference, to a host of a mic or show that I had with you. So I don't think it was the rose-colored glasses. I'm not brown-nosing either. I'm just saying maybe I picked up on your ability to create something out of thin air. Like, you created something out of nothing. There were, what, three people in the room? And the re- the rest was, you know, annoyed stand-up comedians. And you still made it sound like it's one of the greatest shows. And maybe that's what it is. It's your radio voice, podcast, whatever, hosting skills that I picked up on fair. Yeah, when you're hosting, it's not about doing your material. My material always sucked. But those that minute between the comics that you're just supposed to get up there and announce the next person, that's where I would play. That's where I would, according to some comedians, take up too much time and just improvise and trail off of what had just been said or something funny went on in the room. I would talk about it. But that kind of conversational comedy... Uh, riffing, improvising, being really present with people, that's not stand-up. I mean, it can be with crowd work and stuff, but the core of stand-up is not that, and that's what I liked. And so for me, the transition to like podcasting, radio, long-format interviews, to me that's a much more natural transition if that's what I'm interested in, if that's what I'm trying to get better at, and not rehearsed material, which I suck at. Fair. I think we landed on a good spot because I've been struggling with this for years. You have been struggling with my compliments for, for years. And I think we came actually to this point now where we're like, it wasn't stand up comedy. It was your hosting skills. So here we go. I actually would have fun hosting. I would bomb because the host is for those who don't know when you're doing stand up, the host does five or 10 or even 20 minutes at the beginning. Uh, to start the show. They do their act and then they switch to hosting mode. I would always bomb that 10 minutes and then it would be a funny challenge to get the room back, to get people to like me, to get people to laugh at what I'm saying throughout the night. And I would just say to my friends, like, can I just host without an opening set? But I don't know, they would force me to do it or I'd feel pressure to do it. Uh, yeah, so that, that's that's all I have to say. But I do want to get back to what the hell happened at my home, Anik. Yeah. I feel like you brought a camera crew to have a conversation with me to like riff and be funny. And it ended up in this weird lecture about taking art making seriously, which is oddly the direction this show has gone in this week with other people, but that's besides the point. What do you make of that? Like, were you expecting us to quip and make fun of each other? Cause it ended up just being this serious conversation where I semi lectured you to quit your job. So listen, I think these days, if I learned anything through life coaching, through meditating, through whatever the hell I'm doing, you know, that I can come up with in terms of mental health or or general human beingness is that I am just going with the flow. So I didn't have any specific plans. I just know that when you and I get together, there's going to be a, there's going to be something and I was very open-ended. Also, I was very ready to just, if it would be material that we can't use, then it's material we can't use. But I wasn't going in with like, oh my God, hopefully it's going to be super funny and we're going to banter back and forth and we're going to make fun of each other. No, comedy is such a, if you think about it, I mean, it's it's an art form that has obviously, you know, oh, let's make jokes and be funny. But it has all these aspects that I think 
and that's maybe that's even more true for a documentary to show the ecosystem that we're all in and the ecosystem in stand-up comedy is that we have all these questions nobody has figured it out what should we do should we quit the job should we become a regular should we go on the road should we do an international should i do sketches what about instagram right all these questions and i, I don't think it's just stand-up and so i i was Honestly, I was very happy to have had this could have been easily a conversation that you and I just had over coffee or in the green room or because that's what we talk about. And quite frankly, apart from the documentary, I took this home and I'm still mulling over it. I talked to my life coach about this. This friend of mine, he's saying I should quit the job. And, you know, it's a question that we I think a lot of artists have. Should I quit the job so I light a fire under my ass so I get better at my stand up? Or you just have extreme pressure and you crumble. Yes. And then you have to, you know, it's it's like a forcing function for either crisis or success. There's no middle, you know? And that to me is what's interesting about not having a job right now. Because right now I was, it was a forcing function for a lot of success for me. I had a good job and then I lost it. And now it's a, I keep saying the phrase forcing function. It's kind of annoying, but it's a forcing function for crisis for me right now because I, I don't have work and I got to figure out how to make money or I'm fucked, you know? Yeah. Only one way to find out, man, man, go through it. And I think everybody, that's the other thing. If I, if I took anything away from our discussion is everybody has to make up their own decisions about this. What's right for them. If you're a procrastinating person, maybe it is good to have a fire under your ass. If you're more of a person like me, that that's, probably doing too much sometimes to the point where I'm burning out. Maybe it's good to chill and have other side projects also, because otherwise I get too hung up on this stuff, right? Whatever, whatever your answer is. I think it's just a question of, are you comfortable with the decision that you made? And if you're not, are you going to course correct? Yeah. And I think with art, and somebody said that a comedian, I don't want to disclose the name of but they were like name names anique <laughs> okay louis ck which we don't oh i've heard of him yeah he's the one who masturbates in front of people yeah 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 <laughs> which we don't know how to feel about but in an interview he said <laughs> okay if i whipped out my penis right now and started masturbating while we were talking and i was your boss you wouldn't know how to feel about that oh i would probably laugh and just be like what the fuck are you doing man yeah well and that would make you soft, which probably would be funny to me, too. Also, I'm looking at those fucking biceps. I'm not going to do uh, unwelcomed masturbating in front of you. You would fucking crush me. Anik, you're ripped. I have to be. I, I still need a girl. You don't. You have a girl. I don't have a girl. I don't have any muscles. You can get a girl without muscles. Well, this is the thing. It, it, ever since I started my masculinity journey, wherever it's going to take me, I'm on this journey where I'm like, got to have the muscles, got to have the muscles so I look ripped. And that's the only way somebody will ever like me. You know, like we all do. There's so, have you seen the, the dudes in the gym? It's mostly dudes. Why are they doing that? A, I think to get rid of energy, which we all have from this testosterone bullshit. Or two, I think it's because they, they feel like they're not worth anything unless they have muscles. At, at least I I shouldn't be speaking for them, but I, that's the, that's the mousetrap I'm in right now. Do you feel like you're not worth anything unless you have muscles? Maybe. It's going to make me attractive. You're like simultaneously the most confident. I guess that what I'm about to say speaks to who you are. You're simultaneously the most confident, comfortable in your own skin, strong sense of self, strong creative voice, but also like insecure, worried what other people are going to think. Totally superficial. You're both deep and shallow at the same time. But I guess it's another way in which you're two things at once. I've noticed this is a theme. Do you cultivate this, Anique? I don't. I think it's just happening. It's just who I am, this complicated being that I am. I am trying. I mean, I love that you recognize the betweenness of everything that I do. And maybe that's what it is. And it's always going to be. And I'm, you know what? I'm fine with that because it gets me to a point where I can see a lot of things. I know what it's like to have my period. But I also know what it's like to feel the the this the testosterone boost, you know, and be aggressive and annoyed and you know, and whatever testosterone does to you. Even Louis C.K. You're like, I don't know how I feel about it. You're like, yes, this is a problematic individual, but also he's got some good lessons about stand up and art. Two things can exist at once, and I, I that's you. There's two uniques. There's well, 
I think I think we all might have that in a way, right? Yeah. Never, uh, the, most things are multidimensional, right? They're not mono or duo even. And what about this wave particle duality of light? You've got uh, quantum superposition. Maybe when you get down to the the particles that make us up, you know, self contradiction or duality is a fundamental part of nature. I love that you said that because I it's it's such an interesting topic. Like we always we crave the duality. Our brain craves the duality, good or bad, male or female, friend or foe, right? But then the reality is is colorful, right? It's so many shades, so many complexities. I think our brain is just like constantly like being like, <gasps> and the more we challenge it, the more comfortable I guess we get with the uncomfortableness anyway back to louis ck i think he said something along the lines of there's one in stand-up he was talking about you know instagram and all that uh people trying to beat the algorithm yada yada uh and he's like it's bullshit there's only one way in stand-up comedy and it's you know it's grinding the grind and you know going the long route and that long route and here we go is either leading to absolute brilliant and a, you know like a great career for you or to shit <laughs> it's the same road and i think that's what you're on you're on the road to either being the next ira glass which i'm i'm predicting uh or whatever the alternative is i want to be like ira glass meets howard stern meets eric andre meets craig ferguson Maybe with a little Joan Rivers mixed in for gender balance. I can see that. I agree. And the only, like on your road to being an artist, you have successes and failures. And if you get off the road at your first failure, then the last thing you can say about your artistic career is, is that it was shit. But if you stay on the road, you could have a success. You could have failure. It's the same road. I'm sorry. I'm just restating what you're quoting in my own mind. And I can't agree with it. But I think the important thing that's missing, or maybe he said it and... I didn't, you didn't include that is you have to stay on the road. Like you have to stay on the journey. Well, here's my question. Do you think we have a choice? Well, that's an interesting one. Cause I remember mulling over quitting my corporate job and we don't have to have a discussion about how I think you should quit being a part-time lawyer. But, um, and I was talking to my cousin who works in film. He actually listens to the show. Hello, cousin. Hi cousin. And I remember him, you know, I didn't really have people in my life who were successful in an industry that's fundamentally creative. I had friends who were comics. I had I had one friend at the time who was pretty successful in media, but he'd always been in media. So it's hard to really take advice from someone who's been in it since the early 20s and they're in their late 40s, 50s now. So I don't know. I was talking to everyone I could. And I remember talking to him saying, should I quit my good tech job and try to be in radio with nothing? No job, just a few leads, nothing, like a psycho. And he asked me a really simple question. He said, do you need to do this? And I said, yes, I've been wanting to do this. I've been planning to do this. I know I'll hate myself if I don't try. I know I'll hate myself more if I don't try than if I do try and fail. I cannot turn 40 years old regretting not doing this. I can turn 40 years old trying and failing. It'll suck, but I, I can do that. I need to do this. And then my cousin just said, then why are you even asking me if you should do this? You've already made your decision. So to get back to what you're saying, yes, I, I do think if you're fortunate enough and you have your Maslow's hierarchy of needs met, you're not living in a war-torn country or the only person who can work to feed a family of 10. I think there are people who otherwise would be great creatives who, because of circumstances, even if they feel they need to do it, they can't. But I'm fortunate enough to not be one of them, have a lot of privilege there. So yes, I do. Do you need to do this? I think it depends on what you say. This is this the art or this is the art plus quitting every job you have. I, I thought we were long past quitting your job. I thought we were just talking about art making, but your mind went there because you're dwelling on this. <laughs> you talked to your life coach. Is that the uh, German equivalent of a psychiatrist? Because you have like Freud and Jung and all these famous German psychiatrists. Freud was Austrian though. He wasn't German, right? Yes. I don't actually know, but he spoke German. You have all the like a long history of psychiatry in your country. Are you rebelling by going to a life coach? No, I think I think what happened is I just, I I've, I've been going through therapy for eight years and like full on psychoanalytical, well therapy. So not like an analysis, but like uh, therapy, but psychoanalytical therapy, right? And after that, I think I went. Uh, I had a good. 
let me put it this way. I had a good set of ideas of what, you know, my, my issues were and how to work on them and how to tackle them, hopefully. And then life coaching well, came along because I met somebody at a retreat uh, and she's in Australia, actually. And um, I don't know, we, we hit it off. And I think what it gives me is is more of a hands-on help for issues that obviously represent, you know, darker or deeper issues, I should say. And then she has the capability to look into those and tackle those. But in the at the forefront, it's more like, oh, my God, I did this at work with this co-worker. And I, I said this, is this a good communication strategy? Yada, yada. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's more of a, a real life example. And then we work through why is this coming up and how could we, you know. Interesting. So it's more practical than going to a therapist. The therapist is much more deep. They don't want to talk about a specific conversation unless it has deeper meaning. Whereas a life coach can get you through the daily, you know, mundane kind of how to write an email. But she will tie it to like, this is coming up because your mother did that. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's more <laughs> than just like do this, but yeah, it's working for me. And I, you know, because one of the things is if you're growing up like me, you don't necessarily trust your inner instincts. You don't necessarily trust your gut because I was raised, you know, in a family where I was told what to do. And I was, I, you know, I'm the little kid, like, Anik, get rest. We're doing this. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. What, what, what do you, why are you wearing this? Wear this. Oh, okay. You know, and, 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 and so you, you learn, you grow up not being in, not being independent and not trusting your gut. And so as a, as a human being, as you evolve, you have to like, trust your gut and that was manifested in my gender identity journey that was manifest that's manifested in stand-up are you trusting your talent all these things right and so i think it's more than just like practical advice do you believe in yourself because for me this is such a fun question because that's the answer to that is is a duality like yes and no you know i believe in myself 100 percent. yeah maybe a little too much unique <laughs> listen Every time I bomb, I come. That's not true. When I started, and when you have no reason to believe that you have any talent whatsoever, sure you make your friends laugh. Sure, your parent, you know, your parents think, "Oh, you're funny," whatever, right? But then you go on on stage and do your first mics, and they're like, "Holy shit, what is this? I'm not funny at all." And so, for I think for the first couple of years, actually, maybe three years in, I doubted having. That's not true, but I doubted that I had the talent to pull it off. Plus, I'm not from this country, and we had this discussion at your at your place as well. Unlike being, you know, a Canadian who kind of feels maybe American or very similar to being American, I'm from Europe. I'm from Germany. On top of everything, right? We're not liked. We're not used to being, you know, humorous. Blah blah blah. Whatever the stereotypes you can come up with. But most of all, I have an accent, right? So all these things are not playing in my favor. Is anybody ever going to give an, a German a shot? Blah, blah, blah. So with all of these insecurities, I was like, I don't think, I don't think it's going to work, you know? And then, but I had this passion for this art form and this deep, deep want to become the best stand-up comedian I can be. Um, and I think it overrode any doubts that I would have and just be like, Okay, you know what? Only one way to find out. It just powers through. And that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Interesting. It's funny. You you had this drive to be the best. And I thought you were going to end there. And for me, that's a little too ambitious. I like what you said. I want to be the best I can be. Yeah. You know, because that, that's holistic. It's your ability, your voice. Uh, it's maximizing your talent within the confines of uh, of you. I like it. And I... In that sense, I believe in myself, too. I also believe in the work. I was going to ask you, do you believe in yourself? And what does that look like? I do. But it's more a belief that I can do the work and get better. And that I'll enjoy doing the work. Right. So it's more around the craft of it, knowing if I stick to it, I will improve. I also believe if anyone sticks to their craft, they will improve which means i believe in myself not as like this special i think there's a bit of danger in that if you believe in yourself as a special outlier unique you know once in a generation iconoclast iconoclast i I always get that word wrong don't ask me (laughs) you know that word iconoclast yeah yeah iconoclast i know that one yeah 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 it's a good one um but i think if you believe in yourself in that way i worry about people who believe in themselves that way that's 
narcissism to a level that I can't even fathom. I think you're right. Like, well, people like like Kanye West is, I mean, he's psychotic now, but early Kanye West is a perfect example. This is a man who believes that he is destined to be the greatest. The greatest of all time. And it's dangerous because, sure, he, he is great. He's a great artist. I mean, he's fallen off the deep end, but whatever. Let's consider him before he started hating Jews. Um, yeah, it, it worked for him. How many people out there do you know who have that same level of belief in yourself and they're totally just insufferable? You can't even be around them. I think, to me, this is there's a very fine line between believing in yourself and being sure that somehow you have a good instinct and that whatever talents you have, you can bring out to the best of your abilities and the ego coming in, which is, I think, what you're doing if you're like, I'm the best of the best. And the ego, I think, I've, the, the more I think about it, um, the ego the ego is, is so bad for any artistic pursuit. Because the ego will will be telling you, you know, oh, you, you gotta make money with this, <laughs> or you gotta you gotta get you know known. Now you gotta beat the algorithm so that you know you get all these follows. Like it's it's very, um, I think it's one of the the po most poisonous things influencing your art. So I think even on stage, I th I feel that way. If you go, if I go on stage, and I manage to get rid of my ego. Which translates in a lot of things like, oh, you're not listening to my stuff. Uh, you're not understanding what I say. Uh, probably you're dumb, you know, whatever, whatever. Or you shit on some other audience member in some other way. That's when your ego comes out, right? And it's never good. No. But if you can get past your ego somehow and then bring out the art, that's, I think that's, that's the gold medal, maybe. I agree. But to get back to answering your question, I have a fundamental belief that if I work at it, I will get better. And there's no limit to that. But above and beyond that, I mean, this this is saying if you practice tennis every day, you're going to get better. And everybody who practices tennis every day will get better. I don't believe that. I think there is a there's a there is a little bit of talent. Yes, there's consistency for sure. Well, think about someone who wants to be a musician and they're tone deaf. There is a real limit to how far they can go. I don't think talent is that big of a driver. It is a driver, but I think it's the hunger, maybe. And the feeling, tuning into, because you have this drive when you do radio, right? You have this drive when you do a podcast. You're like, this is what I want to do. No, I'm hungry. Yeah, I'm, I'm hungry to grow this thing. I'm hungry for more airtime. Yeah, I'm, I'm, the hunger is there. So the, I guess the hunger coupled with the doing the work and the knowledge that if I do the work, I will get better. I have enough to believe in myself that I'm not the tone deaf equivalent of an interviewer. You know, for my creative stuff, I'm not the tone deaf equivalent if I were a musician. In that sense, I believe in myself. I know that about myself. You know, my cap may be lower than someone like Howard Stern's cap of greatness, fine, whatever. But that I believe in myself at least that much that I'm not the tone deaf equivalent in my area, in my creative area. And that if I do the work, I will get better. And that I have unlimited drive and, and hunger. All those things together... I think mean that I do believe in myself, but I don't sit around like Kanye West or, or my projection of what I think he is or whatever, sitting around thinking I am destined for greatness. I don't have that level of confidence. And if you need that level of confidence to define believing in yourself, then I do not believe in myself. Yeah. I worry about that level of confidence. I, I don't know how anyone could be that confident. I don't know what it gets you. Let's say you say that, oh, I'm, I'm the greatest radio interviewer there ever is. Well, okay. What's what comes from that? Either you're going to be like lazy because you already know you're the greatest, or it helps you because you're like I'm the greatest guy, uh, and then you manifest shit. But you can manifest stuff without thinking you're the greatest guy in the world either. So, but for me, part of the creative process is doubt. Oh, doubt is an important and skepticism and and worry and fear and the unknown. These are all things the artist has to grapple with. If you just have infinite belief in yourself that you are great and you will be great, you're shutting yourself off to, you know, the darker side of art that to me is the more interesting side. I think it's everything in moderation because my life coach, <laughs> I'm coming back to her all the time. I'm starting to sound like a real New Yorker, my shrink says. But um, I think it's the middle ground, isn't it? Because 
believing in yourself, I think, is equally as important as the talent that you might have, but to a certain point, because if you believe in yourself, you're going to manifest things. This is what I'm doing with my coach, right? We have this vision of where I'm going to get. And then I'm always like, that's never going to happen. And she's like, stop. So it's going to happen in your mind because the energy goes, right? There's, there's actual physical evidence of if you if you think about something, it's going to send energy in that way and then it's going to happen, right? More or less. I don't buy it. I mean, I, I, I believe that you believe that's true, but you just saying there's physical evidence isn't enough for me to believe a claim like this. However, please do make your statement because we're not having a scientific debate. It's just about what you believe. Give it to me. I'll listen and I will have a good attitude. So I don't believe it 100% because, and that's why I have, the, because I'm too much of a cynical person. I'm also a stand-up comedian. So I don't believe in all that stuff either but i do believe it now a little bit more than i used to let me interrupt you just very quickly you don't have to be a cynic to say you don't believe in something because when you say you don't believe in it you're not making a claim on whether it's true or false you're just saying i don't have enough evidence to accept it right now like for example god it's not that i think god is not real it's i don't see any evidence for it so for right now i don't believe it and then if one day there's amazing evidence for God, then I'll become a theist, then I'll become a believer. So if me saying I don't believe in this concept of you put out positive energy, you, you visualize success that you can somehow have a greater chance of it, I'm not saying that's not true. I'm just saying I don't believe it. Now, please continue. It's not because I'm cynical. It's because there's not enough evidence. But please do continue. I will stop now. Fair enough. I didn't say you were. I think I am too much of a cynical person to be like, yes, this is true. And I'm going to manifest everything in the morning. And then for sure, everything is going to come true. But um, I do believe it more and more. Why? Because uh, I reframed it in my head to say it's not going to be, oh, my God, I'm going to sell out the Beacon Theater. But it's going to be I'm seeing the Beacon Theater and I'm going to go. Thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna be performing at the like it's more of a gratefulness, anticipated gratefulness for the for the for the journey I'm gonna be on and the things I'm gonna do when I'm on that journey. And so with that in mind, I'm like, I can do that. I can be like, oh thank you. This is gonna happen and I'm already so grateful it's gonna happen. Is it gonna happen? <clears throat> Who knows? No harm in thank you know, being grateful and being happy and being like, oh my God, antsy about it, right? And so I think that's what I'm doing now. I look at my goals and I'm going, oh my God, this is going to be so great when it happens, right? I'm not saying it is, is that, anyway. Um, no, I like it. I, I have this tacky, superficial, really attractive. She's very sweet, but she's very shallow. She's a friend of mine. And for about two or three years, she was talking to somebody watching Instagrams, TikToks, who knows? about manifesting a husband. She would go on about this, and I thought it was the stupidest thing in the world. Two years ago, she met a man that was as shallow, vapid, tacky as her, and they have, they're having their first child, and she still thinks that she manifested this husband. And so, like, her reality <laughs> came to pass, whether it was rooted in truth, whether she actually, quote-unquote, manifested it. But, you know, she's happy, and she's living the life she wanted to live by visualizing it. Uh, I don't believe the mechanism by which it happened is true. I don't, for example, she's saying it's because I manifested it. I don't believe that mechanism's true, but I do believe she had a positive attitude. And maybe that, you know, when she met this guy, her being in a good mental space, maybe had a greater chance of them having a successful relationship. And just like that, I kind of believe in this stuff. Like, for example, karma. I don't believe in cosmic energy. But I do believe if everyone were just a little nicer to each other, the people that they're nice to would then be a little nicer to the next person, to the next person, and then it could come full circle. And so just from this silly example, if you put out good energy in the, into, the, into the world, you might get more good energy back. So it's I believe in karma, maybe, but I just don't believe in the mechanism of sort of... Manifesting. Or like a cosmic harmony of, of pleasantness that somehow connects to a supernatural realm. And I don't believe in that part, but I, I do believe these concepts, maybe the mechanism might not be true. But if you do visualize success, you might be more comfortable when confronted with the adversarial scenario. For example, if you meet a big booker for the Apollo, is that where you wanted to perform? Beacon. The Beacon. You meet the booker for the beacon or whatever. You meet someone associated with the beacon. If you in your mind are like, I was always meant to do this, you might be a little more confident, a little bit more comfortable in that meeting and that person might be a little more likely to book you. And so while the mechanism isn't true, 
the act of believing that may actually have positive results. I don't know. And so that's why I'm not so quick to shit on people who are quote unquote believing in this manifesting shit. I, the mechanism that people claim is why this stuff works. I don't know if I agree in that, but there might be some psychological component to it where if you, you might, you're more likely to be more confident and that confidence might get you a better outcome and that a sequence of those better outcomes may actually result in you getting what you quote unquote manifested all along. I don't know. But I do think it maybe as an exercise isn't the worst practice. For me, it's hard for me to operate on things that I don't believe in. But yeah, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm making an argument against myself. I'm saying the kinds of things you're saying may not be bad, even though I don't believe in the mechanism for how some people claim they work. Does that all make sense? I, it absolutely makes sense. I think it depends a little bit on how your how much of a brain person you are and how much of a non brain person you are and let me explain so when i started therapy my my therapist would explain all the you know say all these things and i was like so, so what's my diagnosis i need to read up on it i need to read all the books about this diagnosis you're giving me right i needed to understand or i thought i needed to understand what's going on so that i would be able to help myself right so this this assumption was if i only understand stuff then i can help myself and i no longer believe that um, not in its entirety, right? Because even if I understand what the diagnosis is, I'm not a therapist. I've never studied this stuff, nor do I want to. But there's people who did study that stuff and they can help me, right? Plus, I think what, what came into my world is I believe in two things. One is the subconscious doing certain things. So for instance, in this video that we created for myself, which is my you know goal video, there's 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 a video of of food, healthy food, and it has spinach in it. And guess what? Almost every day now, I'm cooking spinach. And like, I realize it's not something I consciously did. So I think somehow my subconscious, or they say that about the gratitude journal. I do the gratitude journal every morning, right? And it's like three things I'm grateful for, three things that would make this day great, right? And then I I, I shut, I close. What is it? The the book and um, put it away. And then at the end of the day, I go back to the book and I'm like, holy shit, I did almost everything I said on what would make this uh, day great, three items. And I almost always do them. And I don't think about them. So I, I, I am a little bit more open to the idea that the subconscious does certain things. And then third, I actually now with Zen coming into my life and, um, Maybe, you know, this life coach, I don't know. I do believe in energy and the stardust stuff and the, you know, not necessarily karma, but definitely energy. So if you put your mind on certain things, you put out energy. And I think energy goes that way. I do believe that now. But I get that, you know, some people don't. And that's fine. I Well, I just don't know how you can come to believe. So For me, in my worldview, I, I don't know how you can come to believe in something like that. I just don't, you just, is it a leap of faith? Is it based on evidence? No, I think it's, I mean, I think read Joe Dispenza, read, you know, all these like um, Ram Das books. I'm sure you'll find millions of theories. But what would be, you know, the most compelling evidence for you for why you believe in this kind of energy stuff? Well, look. Do you know that we're all made out of stardust, right? So that's one. If you if you if you if you see turtles or whales, they have a certain life cycle, right? They go there to hash the eggs and whatnot, right? All this stuff. Why? And apparently it's because there's magnetic fields and all I don't read that shit either, you know, but there's magnetic fields and because there's we're made out of stardust, there's like blah 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 blah. There's all these like things that react to things in the universe, whatever. And that's why they swim there. Uh, who says that human beings aren't somehow related to that idea? I guess what I'm trying to say is that question of why may not be a valid question. Of why what? Why does the sound C on the keyboard smell like onions? There, you can ask questions that don't make sense. You can ask questions that syntactically make sense, grammatically, but they, they don't actually make sense. And asking why we're here, why do we see things in the stars and then turtles exhibit the same sort of things What's the connection? Th that question may not be a valid question. There is no connection. Or When we're looking at a universal scale, when we're looking at questions about why things exist that we didn't create, 
I don't, you know, it's, we're taking a very human view of it. I don't know. Maybe that didn't make sense. We can change subject. And I love that we always get into these discussions, but I do think at the end of the day, you're probably right. It's a leap. It's a leap, not a leap, but it's a faith thing. Or you know what? Maybe a thing that works and makes your world work for you. And, you know, right now it works for me. Yeah. I I just, I can't do the leap of faith and I can't do the believe something because it makes the world work for me. You don't have to. I'd rather live in a broken world than believe something that makes the world work for me. And that thing isn't true. Or it's a thing that we didn't have a lot of evidence for. It's kind of a bleak look. I love that when we hang out, we just scream at each other and laugh. And for the last few times when we've hung out and we've had microphones in front of us, we just get serious. It's funny to me. That's such a... Maybe it's because we want to come across as like super reflected or something. But I don't think that's true. We just get into these loopholes and then just... I don't know. I guess it's because we're different. I remember when I was doing stand-up early on, someone was giving me advice and they're like, if you can't be funny, be real. You know, if you're you're on stage and you're bombing and you're trying to be funny, just be honest, you know, do stuff like that. And and I've taken this advice to heart while doing interviews. Like if I can't create a silly rapport and it feels forced, I can definitely go deep with someone. That's true. Which I think is, is... probably the next most interesting thing like are you are you talented enough to banter and be like shoot the shit and be funny or are you and or are you talented enough to to go deep and without offending anybody that's the other thing right like in this day and age or in this climate sometimes it's very hard to have discussions without offending somebody or they have a different worldview and and then all of a sudden you're like, what an asshole. And I, I don't subscribe to that idea. I, I'm, I come from Europe, right? We, just, we discuss sex, drugs, and money, and whatever the topics are, religion, that you should never talk about in America. Abortion, guns, yeah, politics. And I'm like, no, why? It doesn't mean that I have to agree with you, but I'm going to listen to your shit and just be like, okay, well, I see it differently. Anyway, next, next topic. Are you dating right now? Um convoluted question i'm trying to date i'm on the i'm on the apps and i'm talking to a couple of women what are you doing when you have sex are you doing more like uh, stuff that would resemble lesbian sex are you wearing a strap on what's going on or is this too much for you what the where did this come from dude you wanted to change the subject well it doesn't have to go to sex immediately well it's one of the topics (laughs) i'm not going to discuss sex with you oh is this a boundary for you interesting Oh, yeah. And see, this is a whole side of me that I don't think, or maybe I act this way when we're not taping and you're more willing to be disgusting. So you want to have a bit of a clean image when it comes to. No, I, I'm just very private about this stuff. I don't, I know in America, everybody's talking about, I have, you know, anal sex. And I'm like, okay, you don't have to tell me. <laughs> like, why would I want to know? Why wouldn't you want to know? It's like saying I like pizza. It's just a topic of conversation. Why does it have to be private? It, well, it's a very private thing. That's like that's like you telling me what your dick looks like. And I would be like, I'll show you a picture of my dick if you want to see it, Anique. No, I don't. Okay, well, but it, it's not private to me. It's private to me. I talk openly about me and Miranda's sex on the show. I, you are? Absolutely. Is Miranda okay with that? I mean, she dates me. She knows what she's getting. Oh, my God. I'm sure you've seen comedians talk very openly about their private life. Not about sex that much. What? What mics are you going to? Well, the right ones. (laughs) Yeah, that's a whole side of what I'm willing to do that I guess you're not, and that's fine. Well, do you enjoy it? Do you like it? Or do you do it for shock values? I just don't care. And I like that when other people engage with it with me... It's not something they often... I like hitting topics where it's something someone doesn't often talk about. And so it feels intimate. Right. But that could be religion. That could be abortion, right? That could be... Sure. (laughs) This is stuff I talk about every episode of the show if it comes up. Well, you brought it up, so... I'll talk... What do you want to know about my personal life? There's one or two topics that I won't bring up. Do you ever think about going back to Canada? Um, Long term, maybe. Short term, no. I would like to become a U.S. citizen before I leave. I would Because I would like the right to come back. I'm not going through that whole green card dance again. I'm not doing it. It's five, six, seven years of fucking stress. Right. 
but you could be in Canada and just be like a completely celebrity. You don't want to do that. Okay. I see. I see. So my, my last job was in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm really glad that I never had to answer that question because they let me work remotely in New York. I don't know what I would have done if they said, Hey, you got to come back to Toronto to keep this job. I'm asking because I get this question sometimes. I did stand up in Berlin over the pandemic. And then people were like, oh, my God, if I were you, I would get really big, like a celebrity in Germany and then come back to America. And uh, it's a fair question. And I'm, 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 I, I don't think I have an answer to that. I love being international. I love the challenge of doing stand up comedy in Paris or in Barcelona or in Berlin. Right. But there's something about stand up comedy in the U.S. because it's so big and so vital to the American culture that I'm like. If I, I, I have to make it here, if I make it here, that's that's when I made it kind of thing. Is that the same for you? It's really to me, I mean, I don't know the history of it well, but it really does feel like one of those things where it's an American art form. Like it's a little different in the UK. Oh, you mean stand up comedy? Stand up comedy. Yeah, um, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you now. But why do you want to be in, in the in the States with your radio or podcast stuff? Same same idea. I think there's more opportunity. There's more people. Yeah. And I have a life here. You know, I have Miranda. I've been in the U.S. for 11 years now. Sure. I left Canada when I was 26. I'm 37 now. I feel a strong connection to both places. But in terms of residency, I feel a stronger connection here. My sort of up-to-date community of friends and what I know is here in the U.S. But I never had to decide for my old job. I think if they had said, you have to get your butt back in Toronto, I might have gone for a year See, that's, uh, that's the topic I could come up with. But I think it's, I mean, I, I, I think about this sometimes. I, I do both now. I just go to Europe and I do America. I do both. Yeah. I, I need to visit. Oh, that's it? An abrupt ending? I mean, you tell me. No, it's been great talking to you. Can I um, plug my documentary? Fuck no. This is Anika Dell. The show's over. Of course. What's your documentary? My documentary is a nothingness at the moment, but hopefully at some point, the pilot that we pitch to, you know, the networks that we like and uh, the festivals that we like, and um, it's going to show a little bit of the inside baseball, but I hope not too inside baseball kind of view on stand-up comedy. How do you become a stand-up? What's what's part of being a stand-up comedian? What's the path? What are the, the topics that you run into? Kind of like we just said. Eating shit. That's what I remember from it. Eating shit. Eating shit, going to a mic and the the smelliness and the but then also this family. There is a sense every time I walk McDougal in New York, I run into all these stand-up comedians and we feel like a freaking family. I know it sounds corny, but it's part of it. No, I missed that. That was something when I stopped doing stand-up, I really missed. And the talks that we had, like in your kitchen, it's about this stuff. I talk about this shit all the time with comedians and I love it. We go through war, we have an idea, we risk shit, and then we still do it. We eat shit, we still do it, and we love it. <laughs> and that's part of it. So that's the documentary. And then also, I guess what comes with it is all this human stuff, like... Are you going to stay true to yourself? How much of yourself are you going to bend over backwards, you know, to make it work? What's your notion of success? Um, what's authenticity? How much are you going to show of yourself, you know, on, in stand-up comedy? Um, and of course, you know, with authenticity, my gender journey comes in as well. This whole idea of like, oh my God, you know, um, what's my gender? Am I going to talk about it? Am I going to go into this journey or not? Am I going to pretend to be a girl or whatever? Right. So it's, um, I don't know. I think, I hope it's going to be a very interesting human topics documentary disguised as a, here's a stand-up comedian trying to make it in America. I love it. I love that you're going to show the, the, the war aspect of comedians. It's like you all have PTSD together. If you're all landing on Normandy on D-Day, you know, running up to the shores, of course, you would have been in one of the German machine guns. Of course. Uh, that would be killing the Allied soldiers. But imagine what it would be like to be an ally landing in Normandy. Crawling through the sand. And I'm like the one who got shot along the way. <laughs> I'm just a corpse on the beach. But you're going to make it all the way and get rid of Adolf Hitler. There you go. 
I love your obsession with Adolf Hitler. I just do it to bug you. <laughs> I know you do. Um, what is your documentary going to be called? Shockingly enough, it's going to be called In Between. In Between. That's the working title. And I think it's you. I mean, you brought this up, and I when you did, I was like, oh my god, he's genius. But obviously, you knew about it. But um, it's you know, it's this whole idea of like I'm in between so many things. I'm German and American. I'm a male and female. I'm a stand-up comedian and a lawyer. Um, and and maybe the part of why I am these mostly binary things is um, that I don't want to be pigeonholed into one thing. So maybe it's a maybe it's a what is it called a chicken out kind of situation. But no cop out. Yeah, I don't want to. You know, I don't want to judge myself. But it's it's interesting that I'm on this. And my first album on Spotify and Apple Music was called In Between Two Worlds. Or between two worlds, and I think it's a, a furtherance of that. Like I'm still between, <laughs> I, you know, and um, but I do think that in between worlds is where it's hard to live, but so interesting to live. Like that's just the fact that I can relate to women just as much as I can relate to men makes me so happy, and I'm I feel blessed to be in that right. Um, or that I get to see how Americans think and feel much, much more than I did before. But I also know how Germans think and feel. And I can translate sometimes. And I love that. And so, but that's my hope that, you know, I can bring something something from that world to the actual world and show, you know, the story, but also show other people. And that's why I wanted to interview you and other people. I, it, I don't want it to be just about me, but I want to take my journey to showcase some of those topics. In between. We've been in between ending and not ending this show for the last 15 minutes. Have you been feeling that? It's not clear whether we're wrapping it up at any given time. I kind of like that. I feel like we were wrapping up the minute we started and then we didn't and never did. <laughs> this show's been over before it started. Anik, thank you. I love you. Hopefully I'll see you next week. If not, when you come back from Germany. Love it. Thanks for having me. Of course.